Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God that engages us today is our epistle lesson from 1 Peter, particularly these verses. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. The title for our message today is The Joy of Suffering. Now, that may seem like a a strange title to you because joy and suffering just don't go together. Perhaps such a title is a bit surprising to you or perhaps it's even a bit offensive if you're going through suffering right now that is anything but joyful. But today I'd like to encourage you not to think such a title strange or in any way surprising. As we dive together into Peter's words, God's words for us a little bit deeper today, you'll soon see why. As we do that, it might be helpful to you if you have that scripture passage in front of you. So if you, if you brought a Bible with you or you have an app, or if you'd like to grab one from the pew rack in front of you, we'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 12. Peter begins this section of his letter, uh, written to Christians who are undergoing an intense time of persecution, by saying this, Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised. (laughs) Why not? Suffering often comes as a surprise to us. That tumor that you had no idea was growing all along and is now inoperable. That semi-truck that swerved into your lane and blindsided you, changing your life forever. That friend or loved one who inexplicably and suddenly decided they had no more need of you and trampled on your heart. Apparently, the early Christians to whom Peter writes were caught off guard by the intense persecution that had come upon them. But Peter tells them, and he tells us, not to be surprised. Why not? Well, here's why not. Because suffering characterized the life of Christ. And therefore, it characterizes the life of Christians as well. One of the first questions we often ask when we are uh, undergoing suffering is, why? We ask this because our suffering surprises us. It catches us off guard. This question of why can sometimes lead us to ask if God even cares. And at such times, it's important for us to remember that God actually chooses suffering to make himself known to us. He did it through Jesus as his death on the cross displayed God's love for us. He did it through the early Christian martyrs in the arena who did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Martyrs like St. Lawrence, after whom this church is named, uh, who was grilled to death for believing in Jesus. He does it through parents who have lost children and yet cling to Christ through it all. He does it through the, the dying old woman in the hospital bed 
who in the midst of her chronic pain and labored breathing preaches a sermon far better than anything I could ever come up with as she shares how good God has been to her. Suffering characterizes the life of Christians, and it always has. And so Peter says not to be surprised. Here he dashes to pieces our ingrown sense of entitlement, this idea that life is supposed to be easy, especially if you're a Christian, this idea that our lives are all about ourselves. We read earlier about how Matthias was selected to fill Judas's place as the 12th apostle, although I noticed he didn't make it onto our stained glass windows on the west side here. But I used to think, nevertheless, that Matthias was the lucky one. He was chosen over Barsabbas or, or Joseph or Justice or whatever name you prefer to call him. But Matthias was actually being called to a life of persecution and the death of a martyr. All but one of the apostles would die for their faith. And Christians throughout the world today are being persecuted in much the same way. Last week we were reminded of this by Vicar Heckert, who also reminded us, as Peter does again here, that we should stop being so surprised that our culture doesn't like us. That it calls us ignorant or bigots for opposing sins that God clearly condemns in his word. That it seeks to rob us of our tax-exempt status as a church, seeks to rob us Christians of our religious liberties. We shouldn't be surprised that it wants to relegate the church to absolute irrelevance. Don't be surprised. Jesus told us to expect this. He says to us, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Paul even goes so far as to say that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. So what are we to do? Peter says, do not be surprised, but rejoice. Rejoice. Why? Rejoicing seems like the most ridiculous possible response to suffering. It's the last thing we want to do. It's the last thing that makes any sense. But scripture is full of such instructions. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Paul says that as Christians, we rejoice in our sufferings. Then we have the words of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount when he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For Peter's part, he gives us three reasons why you should rejoice in your sufferings. The first is because suffering makes you more like Jesus. He writes in verse 13, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. When you suffer for the sake of Jesus, you are being given the divine opportunity to be more and more closely identified with the suffering servant who gave his life for your sake. Jesus was beaten and brutalized, mocked and murdered for you. And when you were baptized, as Caden was this morning, you were baptized into his suffering and death, so that being joined with him in death, 
you might be joined with him in his resurrection as well. And so when you suffer for Jesus, he binds up your wounds with his, and he joins you to himself. Suffering makes you more like Jesus. This leads us into Peter's second reason for rejoicing in our suffering. Because suffering now and rejoicing in that suffering leads to eternal rejoicing. The NIV translation here says to rejoice so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now the Greek translated here as overjoyed is actually two words, which means to rejoice with an exceeding gladness that simply cannot be contained. Rejoicing now in our sufferings prepares us to rejoice with exceeding gladness when Jesus comes again in glory. Because Christ will return, you know that your suffering will come to an end and that eternal glory will be yours because Jesus' cross and resurrection have purchased and won it for you. And so Jesus says these words that we heard a couple of weeks ago, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And in Paul's famous words, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. We rejoice because our suffering is an indication of the coming glory that awaits us. And we know that the Lord is near and is coming soon. So in the midst of your suffering, live like you know how it will end. Because you do. Third, Peter urges us to rejoice in our suffering because suffering is both a blessing and an opportunity. He writes in verse 14, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Echoing the words he had heard Jesus preach on that mountaintop. Now stop for a moment and consider how silly this sounds. It is incredibly counterintuitive to believe that insults can be blessings. It sounds particularly countercultural to our Western materialist ears to say that suffering and persecution can bring joy. This was a radically peculiar worldview when Peter wrote this letter, and it's perhaps even more so today. But Peter knew what he was talking about because he had lived it. In Acts chapter 5, after Peter and the other apostles had been flogged, Luke writes that they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Peter and the apostles knew that suffering is a blessing and an opportunity to strengthen faith and show forth God's glory. Martin Luther once wrote, where suffering and the cross are found, there the gospel can show and exercise its power. Through holy perspective, God demonstrates to us that he is involved in our suffering in order to deepen our faith and instill his hope. And through this process, the wounds of our suffering become, in the words of Henry Nouwen, like the Grand Canyon, a deep incision in the surface of our existence that has become an inexhaustible source of beauty and self-understanding. 
This is all possible because, as Peter writes, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. As we heard last week, the spirit gives us comfort and gives us confidence. And so Peter continues, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Did you know that the word Christian was actually originally used by opponents of Christianity as a derogatory term? And in the Roman Empire, at different times, it actually became an official criminal charge to be a Christian. Today, to go by that name is becoming more and more of a social embarrassment. But shame on us if we ever let shame or embarrassment replace our pride in bearing the name of Jesus in all that we do. We don't let these things surprise us. Instead, we rejoice in them. Peter wraps up this section in verse 19 where he begins by talking about those who suffer according to God's will. I'd like to stop him there for just a second and ask, what? It is actually God's will that we suffer? Usually we try to defend or excuse God by explaining how he's not responsible for our suffering. We say things like, God is allowing our suffering, but he is not causing it. Oftentimes that's true, like when we suffer because of our own sin, and Peter says that that we have no reason to rejoice in that kind of suffering, because God never causes sin. But apparently there is such a thing as suffering according to God's will, and to try to let God off the hook just doesn't work in the end. For one thing, it's a cop-out, And for another, God doesn't need us to justify him. I think the real question Peter would have us wrestle with is this. What will you do when God appears to be your enemy? And the answer that Peter would have you give, cling to God, even and especially when it looks like he is dead set against you. Place your trust in him as your redeemer, even if every shred of evidence indicates that he's opposing you. Because contrary to how it may often appear, God is for you. And this is how we know that. God did not just allow Jesus to suffer for us. Isaiah tells us that it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer for you. And through Christ's suffering, God has freed you from the eternal pains of hell. And so when we suffer according to God's will, we do what Peter says to do. We commit ourselves to our faithful creator and continue to do good. How do we do that? By placing everything we are into God's care, commending our body and soul and all things into his hands just as Jesus did on the cross when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we live at peace. As Christians, we are not called to pick fights. Paul teaches us in Romans, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so we don't invite persecution. We don't seek out martyrdom. We don't instigate controversy. At the same time, we don't fear those things either. And we stand up firmly for the truth. 
Because Peter goes on in chapter 5 to describe the devil as prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And so God calls us to be self-controlled and alert, recognizing that when we are suffering especially, we can be particularly vulnerable to Satan's temptations. But notice that the devil here is prowling around like a roaring lion. In truth, he is merely masquerading as someone more powerful than himself. The prophet Amos writes, The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? As Christians who bear the name of Jesus, then we resist Satan with the true lion on our side. The one who destroys the cheap counterfeit who opposes us whose roar shears the mane and rattles the teeth of our adversary. The one who Isaiah says will soon swallow up death forever, devouring our enemies once and for all, who will then lie down as both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God in his restored paradise. And we will be there with him because we are heirs with him if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So then, don't be surprised because suffering characterizes the life of Christians as it characterized the life of Christ. Instead, discover the joy of suffering because it makes you more like Jesus. It leads you to eternal rejoicing in the paradise he won for you and is both blessing and opportunity. Trust in God even when he seems to be against you For he has caused Christ to suffer on your behalf and live at peace with God and with others while resisting Satan. And as Peter says, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And now, may the peace of God which transcends our understanding guard your hearts and minds in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.